I had a friend this morning that sent me a text message with a picture of uh, what he was facing outside. There were seven inches of snow uh, that had fallen already. He's like, we're on our way to church, two services, we're not canceling. He's like, I'm not in Concord anymore. I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, but it is good to be here. Uh, author Kent Hughes writes in his commentary on uh, the Gospel of Mark uh, the following words about the passage we're going to look at this morning. He says, the fact is we have yet to find a scholar who can perfectly unravel the knotty problems of the Olivet Discourse. Study of it requires a proper humility and a willingness to admit that we do not know everything. I love when I go to the commentators uh, who are smarter, way smarter than I'll ever be, and they say, oh boy, this is a tough one. (laughs) I mean, there's just part of me, I start to worry a little bit. I have this picture in my mind of Dwayne the Rock Johnson opening a pickle jar and struggling with it for, for minute after minute after minute, sweat beating down his face and then looking at me going, hey, I can't get this. Can you try? Like there's this part of me where I'm just I'm just nervous because the passage we're going to look at this morning is difficult and there are people on opposite ends of the spectrum uh, who come at this uh, from from different angles, right? Uh, You have maybe had this experience before when you read a passage of Scripture and it seems uh, very clear to you what it means and then there are other times when we read Scripture and we kind of scratch our heads a little bit and we're like, I don't know exactly uh, what the author meant when he said what he said. And so all that to say, we want to come uh, at the text uh, with a great deal of humility uh, this morning. The reason that we want to come at it with humility is because it is about a topic that's difficult to understand. It's a passage about eschatology. Uh, Eschatology is a big, long, hairy theological word that means uh, the study of end times. And uh, if you are like me, then you probably have heard lots of different voices uh, speak about end times. Uh, When I was a kid, I distinctly remember uh, pastors who would walk across stage with a rather uh, large picture behind them. And and the picture included like clouds and crowns and chariots and numbers and there were arrows and there were dates. And it was all very confusing to me. I, I looked at these and I thought, I have no idea what that person is talking about. And so this morning, we want to come to the text with uh, humility and pray that God uh, opens our eyes to help us to see uh, what he wants us to see. Uh, Because while it is true that not all questions uh, can be answered, some questions uh, certainly can be. Uh, While it is true that there are difficult passages in Scripture that exist, it doesn't mean uh, that we can't move toward understanding with those passages. Uh, While it is true that we uh, can't be certain the date and the time of when Jesus is coming back, uh, we can know as the people of God uh, that He is. Uh, And so this morning, I want us to think together about what Jesus taught his disciples and what he teaches us about uh, end times. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 13, uh, Mark chapter 13. And before we read the passage together, I just want you to know that there are, are three major ways or three 
uh, typical ways that people view uh, the passage that we're going to read. Some people think that this passage is addressing uh, when the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70. Uh, other people believe that this passage is just simply looking forward to something that will happen uh, in the future. Uh, and a third option is uh, one that I believe is, is correct. It's that there are parts of this passage that uh, look back to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, uh, but there's aspects as well that look forward uh, to what will happen uh, in the future. And so I really think it is a both and. This passage is referred to as the Olivet Discourse uh, because Jesus uh, gave this message or this word to his disciples on the Mount of Olives. Uh, the Mount of Olives is about 200 feet above the temple. And so if you were to be uh, in Israel and, and on the Mount of Olives, you can look out and you can see the temple. Uh, the temple was this beautiful structure. Uh, it had gold, and so the sun would hit it and it would shine, and I mean, it would blind your eyes. People looked at the temple and thought it was indestructible. Right? The temple would be here forever. It's like when people looked at the Titanic and said, it's the unsinkable ship. Right? Nothing bad could ever happen to it. Right? And so it's with that backdrop that Jesus uh, speaks these words to his disciples in Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. It says, And he came out of the temple, and one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Uh, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And so you have to imagine the disciples hear this word from Jesus, and it would have shocked them. Right? Because here they see the temple of God, the place where the presence of God resides, where people go and worship, and people just kind of operated and assumed that it would be there forever. And Jesus looks at the temple and he's like, uh, this is going to be destroyed. Uh, he continues on in verse 3, and it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? The response of the disciples is understandable. Jesus just kind of made this bold claim. He's like, hey, the temple's going to be destroyed. And so the disciples say, well, when is it going to happen? Uh, when's it going to go down? And how do we know uh, that we can expect for this uh, to take place? How do we know that uh, this uh, will be true. So Jesus continues in verse 5. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pain. So Jesus uh, looks at his disciples and he says to them, uh, Do not be led astray. Uh, the reason that Scripture encourages us not to be led astray is <laughs> because we're prone to be led astray. Right? There's just something about the human heart and the human condition where we just naturally follow. Right? People 
come and you hear a compelling voice or you hear something that's interesting to the ear and you go, that's fascinating. You meet someone who is a winsome or compelling figure and and you just kind of naturally follow. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, uh, do not be led astray. There will be people who come after me making bold claims. Uh, Don't listen to them. So I read something like this, and I think to myself, if I am prone to be led astray, uh, how can I make sure that I'm not led astray? I want to ask that question. I mean, there's this this challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples. Uh, We know the human heart enough to know that we're naturally ones who follow after others or follow after uh, teaching. And so I want to know how to not be led astray. Well, Scripture uh, teaches us that one of the ways that we are not led astray is by uh, knowing the truthfulness of God's Word. Right? If, if we know God's Word, if we know what God has taught us in His Word, then we're able on some level to be, to be able to spot a fake or a fraud. Right? If you know the truthfulness of God's Word, when other voices come speaking or preaching or teaching something that doesn't seem to fall in line with the Word of God, there, there's something within us where we go, wait, wait a second, that, that, that doesn't seem uh, to make sense to me because what I read in the Word is different than what that person is saying. Right? So as a, as a church family, as a body of believers, uh, we primarily want to be Bible people. Right? We want to be people who know and love the Word of God. We want to be people like the Bereans who search the Word of God. Uh, Paul and Silas, when they went to uh, Berea in Acts chapter 11, it says that when Paul and Silas went to Berea, they arrived and they went to the Jewish synagogue. synagogue. Verse 11, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, For they had received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I mean, think about that for a second. There's these these group of of believers from Berea who hear the word taught or preached or communicated. And instead of simply thinking to themselves, that sounds good to me, they went home and they searched the scriptures uh, to see if what they had just heard was true. Right, so as a people of God, this is how we should operate. When we, when we hear teaching, whether it's our favorite pastor or podcast or we read a book or uh, we, we are exposed to an author, we want to take the teachings that we hear and then bring them back and go, what, is the, what does the Word say? Because we're, we're Bible people. God has revealed Himself uh, to us through His Son by His Spirit, and He's given to us His Word. And yet all too often, it's so easy for us to operate in such a way where more often than not, we say, I think and I feel. Right? I think and I feel. Have you ever caught yourself before doing that? I do that. I go, I, th- I think, I feel, and we, we, we almost separate our thoughts and our feelings from the Word of God. A friend sent me a tweet from a, a pastor that I admire this past week, and it said, um, that, that voice that you hear uh, in your head is not God. It's you. 
you want to hear from the Lord, then come to the Word of God and pray that the Spirit of the living God would open your eyes. We want to be Bible people because there's warnings in Scripture that people are going to come and speak words that are going to seem appealing to us, and we're apt to follow them. Right, and here Jesus is telling his disciples, don't be led astray. See to it that no one leads you astray. Be, be Bible people, Christ point. Don't, don't trust your feelings. Don't trust the voice in your head. Trust the word of uh, the living God. Maybe you read this passage this morning and, and you're a little concerned or you're a little worried because you're going like, hey, these things that Jesus talks about, they're actually happening. And I do that. It says in verse 7, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be alarmed. This must take place, but it is not yet uh, the end. But I read that and I think, boy, that, like, that's, that's happening, right? I mean, you've, you turn on the news or you hop online, you get your, your update on your phone, and this is the stuff that you read about wars and rumors of war and it seems like i mean the world's a crazy place and you're going this is playing out and so everything uh, within us thinks to ourselves ah, this is going down and yet jesus uh, says um to, to remain calm and he says these are these are just the beginning of birth pains right? there, there'll be famines there'll be earthquakes nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom, and, and yet there's this call to, to not be anxious or uh, to not panic. And, and that sounds good when you read it, but there's part of me that goes, when you're walking through that, like it's, it's kind of difficult not to panic. And it's like when you're on the airplane and you're like, hey, in case of emergency, remain calm. Right? Of course, you're 35,000 feet up in the air. And this little cylinder flying through the sky at a high rate of speed. Of course we're going to remain calm. Nothing to worry about here. I'm just going to get my air, make sure I put it on myself first, and then take care of my family. I mean, there's times in life when the craziness is going on around you, and it, and it doesn't seem like you want to remain calm. And yet Jesus is speaking in those moments, and he's going, hey, this is going to take place. This is going to happen. One of the things that I love about Scripture is that Scripture honestly prepares us for life. Right? Scripture tells us, uh, broadly speaking, what we can expect as a people. And I don't, about, I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, just having clear expectations can be helpful for me as I navigate through life. Right? When, when someone says, hey, listen, just so you know, marriage is challenging. Right? It's not always easy. Then when you experience challenges and it's not easy, you go, oh, okay. Like I, I was told when someone says, hey, it's, it's not easy being a parent. There's difficult decisions that you need uh, to make. Then, then when you find yourselves in those situations, you go, okay. Right? I've, I've been told. When you're a teenager and people come up to you and it's like, hey, you're gonna, there's these feelings and you're going to be pulled in multiple directions and your parents are going to be lame. and you, It doesn't mean it's easy for you, but it helps prepare you. It helps uh, you to know what to expect. When someone says to you, hey, work is cursed, right? It's hard. 
It's not going to be easy. You can show up on Monday morning, and when it's difficult, you go, okay, someone, someone told me that this was going to be challenging. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it does help us in knowing what to expect. And so I think in part, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to tell you what to expect. I'm going to paint a picture for you so when you experience it, uh, you don't freak out. And so he says in verse 9, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So in other words, there's going to be challenging times as you try to represent Jesus in a world that is opposed to him. He says to his disciples, you're going to find yourself in places in front of people that are going to blow your mind. You're going to be in front of decision makers and the influential, um, those who are making the laws and who are in charge. You are going to stand before them, and you are to bear witness before them. Isn't it amazing how God set it up that, that his men and women, that his uh, kids, his boys and girls, his students, they are his representatives here on earth. It blows my mind when I think that the God of the universe was like, hey, I've got an idea. I'll let these people be my representatives. Ever look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and think to yourself, God's sending me. I'm his plan A and B. Like, it's me. Does that ever blow your mind? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is God's idea. This is what he dreamed up. We, you, and me, followers of Jesus, we are his representatives here on earth. We are the sent ones. There's not a plan B. And so Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to go and you're going to find yourself in in front of important people and influential people, and I want you uh, to be my witnesses. It says in verse 10, and the gospel first must be proclaimed to all nations. And so when we study historically the spread of the church, the way that the church spread is through persecution, right? Disciples, God's people, they were scattered about. And when they were scattered about, they were able to share and be witnesses to Jesus Christ. This is how God did it. Persecution, spread of the gospel, and Jesus is preparing them. He's preparing us. This is the picture that he paints. I just, I mean, just look at this. I mean, many will claim to be the savior of the world. Many will be led astray. There will be wars and rumors of war. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines. And that's just the beginning. And that's a, that's a bleak, bleak picture. And yet there's hope in the midst of it. Look at verse 11 of Mark 13. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, 
but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. But I love that, right? Because the disciples get wind of the plan of Christ to like place them before the influential, the decision makers, kings, and those in authority. And he says, I want you to be my witnesses. And I would respond to that and go, hey, I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> like, I should have a talk. <laughs> I want to prepare notes. I have notes with me this morning. I'm prepared. I knew this morning was coming. Right? And so I thought, what are we going to talk about? And how should I transition? And can I think of a good illustration to make sense of this? And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I want you to go. And the Spirit of the living God will give you the words that you are to say or speak in that moment. Have you ever had an experience like that before where you're having a conversation with someone and you didn't plan for it or prepare for it? Right? Someone's telling you something that you didn't know before. You're hearing something secondhand. People are asking you difficult questions. Maybe someone opens up and tells you their story. And for whatever reason, in that moment, the Spirit of the living God is working in your heart uh, to listen and to when appropriate to, to speak. And you find yourself remembering things that you hadn't thought about for years. Right, the old Awana verse that you learned when you were five, all of a sudden it sprouts out of you. And you're going, man, I hadn't even thought of that in decades. But, but like the Spirit of the living God is directing your conversation and directing your words. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. You're going to go in front of very important people. And you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to represent me. I would think, I would imagine that something inside of them freaks out a little bit. And so then Jesus gives hope to them and says, listen, you, you go, right? You, you go. Uh, you will be given in that hour what you need. Right? The Spirit of the living God will empower you uh, to speak. And then he continues to paint this picture, verse 12, and brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Right, moms, dads, maybe your kid talked back to you the other day, but this is bad. Right? I mean, this is, this is scary. Right? Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them uh, put to death. Verse 13, and you will be hated uh, by all uh, for my name's sake, but the one who endures uh, to the end uh, will be saved. They typically do not put this passage on the Christian brochure uh, when they want people to sign up. Right? When, when you're talking about how God has a wonderful and beautiful plan for your life, right? <laughs> Typically, you, you don't follow that up with Mark chapter 13. Right? When you wake up on a Monday morning and you just need an encouraging word, something on Facebook or Instagram with trees in the background and something from the Psalms or Philippians that's really encouraging, you don't see Mark 13 on there. Right, because it's a, it's a bleak picture. It's a, it's a little bit scary. And so in the midst of uncertainty, Jesus is saying, don't be led astray. Do not be anxious. Do not let your guard down. And then he continues in verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
Let the one who is coming on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. Verse 19, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, for the sake of God's people, his kids, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and perform signs and wonders. Do not uh, or, uh, to, to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on your guard. I have told you uh, all things beforehand. That, that phrase, the abomination of desolation, is used in three places uh, in the book of Daniel. And when it's used in Daniel, um, scholars believe that it was something referring to what took place in uh, 167 B.C. where a Syrian leader came and sacrificed uh, a pig on the altar of God and they sacrificed uh, to this, this god Zeus. It stirred the Jews so much with anger that uh, the Maccabean revolt took place because of that. So some scholars, when they read this abomination of desolation, uh, point to that event. Other people point to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, and still other people say, uh, yes, in part it was referring to 167 A.D., in part it was referring to the destruction of the temple in A.D. 70, uh, but also this here is looking forward uh, to something that is yet to take place. Uh, people call it a, a, a double referent, and meaning it's, it's like a picture of what is uh, yet to come. Imagine it this way. Let's say, um, let's say the New England Patriots made the Super Bowl, right? And they, uh, they're, they're playing someone's Super Bowl Sunday, and they send people uh, to videotape the practices of this particular team. Now, we know this would never take place. It would never happen. Uh, but, but hypothetically, let's just say it went down like this. They send someone to videotape the practices uh, of this team. They can watch what is on the videotape, and in part, it shows them uh, what to expect on Super Bowl Sunday. Well, I think in part, that is what is taking place here. There's this picture that we can see uh, close, like the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, and yet, at the same time, it's something where, where people are looking forward uh, to what is yet uh, to come. I read a passage like this in Scripture, and admittedly, it's heavy. I think when people uh, come across a prophecy in Scripture or Scriptures where it's talking about what is yet to come, uh, we can have one of two responses. On one hand, people read things like that and they're like, go to Harris Teeter and get canned goods. Like, we, we need to plan and prepare for this thing. Maybe you're someone who has a, a, a shelter. You have a place where you can go. Right? You have more canned goods than Harris Teeter does on aisle two. Like, you're ready for the end of the world at any moment. You've got water stocked up. Like, Lake Norman doesn't have a thing on you. Like, you got more fresh water than you know what to do with. Those, those folks are over here. They're like, it's happening. You wake up in the morning, you roll up out of bed, and you open up. Open up the shades and like see if there's still a world out there. And there is, at least for today, 
but you don't know what tomorrow holds. And then there's folks over here. You read stuff like this and you think to yourself, come on, really? I mean, the abomination of desolation. I mean, you read those passages and you think to yourself, that, that's 2,000 years old. It's 2,000 years old. Seriously? Is that, is that really going to happen? Is it really going to take place? All these crazy people over here planning for the end of the world, you're like, i got to go to work on Monday. i got to lead a team. Right? i got to make lunches. Like you're, you're not thinking about this. I want us to think about this. I want to... I want, to, I want to ask God to, to, to give us just like an awareness of our finiteness. Like an awareness that, um, that we're not going to live forever. An awareness that this life that we see and experience here and now and today is, is not uh, how it's always going to be. And in that thought or that belief, I, I want us to have hope. Because I, I believe that we can respond to that in such a way that we're so nervous or frightful about what could take place that we become paralyzed. And I don't want us to become paralyzed. I want us to be a hope-filled people. I want us to remember that God cares for his kids. God cares for his kids. If you are a, a child of God, if you are a son or daughter of the one true and living king, God, God's going to care for you. He's going to care for you. That doesn't mean that life will be easy for you. It doesn't mean that it's going to be carefree. But it does mean that the God of the universe is going to care for you. We see it all over the pages of Scripture. Secondly, I want us to remember uh, to, to be on our guard because we are not in the dark. Uh, be on your guard uh, you are not in the dark. Ask God to give you eyes to see. Be, be people of the book, people who are Bible people, who know and love the Word, so you can spot something that seems a little fishy. God has warned us. We, we know at least in part how this is going uh, to play out. And lastly, I want us to remember this morning that we are a hope-filled people. We're a hope-filled people. Titus 2, verse 13 says that we are waiting for our blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As a people of God, God has poured hope into our hearts. We know, at least in part, how this plays out. We know that God cares for his kids, that he loves his kids, that his kids one day will be home with him. A number of years ago, my family was traveling back uh, from Michigan. We were coming down to Charlotte, uh, and we hit a pretty bad storm in the state of Kentucky. And uh, it was one of those storms where you just kind of see the clouds beginning uh, to form, and you think to yourself, like, uh-oh, uh, this, this is not good. And so we were driving around for a while. Melissa's mom was sending us text messages because she's on, like, 
weather.com giving us updates and she's like hey how are you guys doing and where are you right now and I'm looking at the weather map and we're tooling around and we decide at one point to uh, to pull off to get off an exit to go to a gas station get some gas get something to eat uh, and we go to the gas station and we're there for like two minutes and a, a news reporter walks in right and we look up and they got the big camera and there's a news reporter with a microphone I don't know if you've ever had this experience before but when you're at a place and people show up with cameras and big fuzzy microphones like something's about to go down. And so we're all like asking questions of this news reporter. And I don't remember exactly what the news reporter uh, said. I, I do remember a few of the words. Uh, tornado, uh, landed, and some town. And we were in Kentucky. We didn't know where we were. And so we're like, hey, that town that you mentioned, um, where is that? They're like, that's, that's just like five miles up the road. And so... <laughs> So we have options at this point. We've been driving through uh, this, this storm, and we could stop, and we could try to find some place uh, in Kentucky to spend the night and drop $100 on a hotel room, uh, or we could like, drive through the storm uh, because we want to we make it home. And so I'm a dude, so <laughs> we're driving. Everyone get back in the van. And we got back in the van, and we got back on the highway, and we started driving south. And uh, as we drove south, the storm followed us. I mean, it, it literally followed us all the way uh, to, to Asheville. And I remember when we were in the van, Melissa, she's very kind and sweet to me. She never tells me, James, this is the dumbest thing that you've ever done. She thinks it, but she doesn't say it out loud. The kids are in the back of the van. They're asking questions like, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? And I'm like, yeah, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. Here's a little dirty secret of parenting. I had no idea that we were going to be okay. It's kind of like a parental lie in that moment. Like we're, we're driving through this nasty storm, and is their dad, I want to to like breathe hope into their little hearts and tell them, hey, it's going to be okay. We are going to get home. But the truth of the matter is, is I'm not in control of the storms. Not in control of the storms. But there is one who controls the wind and the waves. Uh, there is one who is in control of the storms. And there is one when he speaks and says, hey, you're going to be okay. Uh, you can rest assured you are going to be okay. Listen, the God of the universe that knows you and made you, has promised you, uh, you're going to make it home. Uh, so, so just know when, when the wind kicks up and the waves crash in, that the living God has spoken words of hope uh, into uh, your heart. You're going to make it home. You're going to make it home. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for uh, the truth of your word. Lord, we cling to it during times in life when it seems like uh, there is uh, activity around us that is suspect, uh, when we hear or when we experience things that unsteady our hearts. Lord, I pray that uh, you would steady us. Lord, help us to prepare our hearts for uh, what is to come. Lord, I pray that you would give us a supernatural courage and, and faith. I pray that you would help us uh, to be a, a people of your book. Help us to not be uh, led astray by astray voices uh, that come our way. God, thank you for the promise that you've given to us in your word that you're going to take care of your kids, that we, by the grace of God, are going to get home. 
God, we love you. We thank you for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.